Hey, welcome to the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm your host, Howard Jacobson. Before we get to today's show, a quick reminder that this podcast is free for everyone and supported by those who can afford it. So uh, if you have found this podcast a useful companion during 2020, and you'd like to see it continue through 2021, I would invite you to go to plantyourself.com slash gift. If you are in a position where you have the means to support something that means something to you and hopefully uh, you think is doing good in the world. You can use PayPal or Patreon. You can make a one-time contribution or become an ongoing sustaining patron of the show. And if funds are too tight for you to show your appreciation in a monetary sense, you can still leave a review of the Plant Yourself podcast on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. That also helps us a great deal. All right, on to today's episode. This is the Plant Yourself podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com and wellstarthealth.com. This podcast is part of my mission to help you live a life of service and surrender to the truth. Today's guest, Tina Ahern, is a longtime Plant Yourself podcast listener and a generous supporter. And when she reached out to me via email to share her inspiring story, I knew I wanted to share it with you. So long story short, Tina and her husband, Brian, opened up a bunch of years ago a partially plant-based restaurant in Perry, Oklahoma, as part of their mission to serve their community through their Christian faith. The bakehouse, the 611 Bakehouse, is located at 611 Delaware Avenue in Perry, which is where it got its name, but it also echoes one of the most famous verses in the Bible, Matthew 6:11, give us this day our daily bread. <laughs> Love it. You might expect that Perry, Oklahoma would not be a hotbed of plant-based eating, and you'd be right. But the Aherns include several plant-based options on their menu, including a bunch of no-oil whole food plant-based options. They are an approved provider of whole food plant-based meals by the Plant Pure Nation, or the Plant Pure Pods. And as part of their ministry, the Aherns teach several classes on whole food plant-based eating as part of their Healthy Living series. And slowly, slowly, they're changing the way their neighbors think about food and about health. So if you're in the neighborhood in Perry, Oklahoma, stop by for a bowl of soup and a sandwich. You can look them up at 611bakehouse.com. And uh, don't forget to say hi for me. So in our conversation, Tina and I talk about her journey to health, from being a bulimic gymnast to having high cholesterol to gaining two to three pounds a year to witnessing her parents sicken and her father die from chronic conditions amenable to lifestyle improvement. And also about the joy and privilege that comes with learning new things, doing better and sharing that knowledge with others. A couple of quick announcements before we get to the interview. First of all, the new WellStart cohort begins on January 7th, 2019. Uh, we're going to be shooting a whole bunch of new videos for it. We're upgrading. We're coming out with an app. So this is, uh, if you've been waiting, this is a really good time to jump in. Just go to wellstarthealth.com slash program to read all about it and to apply for the January cohort. Second announcement, Sick to Fit, the book that Josh Lajani and I wrote, is now available from Amazon as a paperback. If you go to sick2.fit slash book, that will take you to Amazon and you can get an actual book. It comes in the mail. It's got ink and paper and cover and numbers on it and is really exciting. And uh, $3.02 of that purchase will come to me and Josh. So if you've uh, been, you know, reading the free Kindle version, which we put out there so that everyone in the world, regardless of finances, would be able to get this message. And you'd like your own little piece of uh, Josh and Howard real estate in your home and you can get the paperback, then that helps subsidize our efforts to spread this far and wide. And of course, we would love for you to, you know, buy a dozen and give them to everyone, you know. And if we ever uh, run into each other, I would be Happy to sign it for you and make a smiley face. Third announcement, Josh came up here last week and we spent three days recording the audiobook. So I hope that should be out ooh, within a month. It takes a really long time to edit everything. But um, you're listening to me from the new microphone that I bought for that. 
So uh, if you have an opinion about whether this sounds better, you can listen to me uh, in just a few seconds in the conversation with Tina on the old microphone. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Is this a keeper? Uh, Do I just pull it out for audiobook recording or does this become my new podcast mic? All right. So that's that. And without further ado, Tina Ahern, welcome to the Plant Yourself podcast. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So we're, we're on the phone because um, you've been a longtime listener, and I guess you, you sent me an email a while back sharing uh, your story that I thought was just so cool and interesting. I wanted to give you a chance to, to tell it to, if not the world, at least the people who listen to this podcast. So uh, how, how, would, how would you begin your story? Oh, gosh. Well, the, the part of the story I told you is kind of closer to the end of the story because um, our little cafe that my husband and I started in 2010 was actually one of the first uh, restaurants in Oklahoma to offer um, to be certified with Plant Pure Communities on their restaurant campaign, meaning that we have whole food, plant-based, no oil options on our menu which for um, for where we're located in Perry, Oklahoma, is kind of interesting because it's, you know, veganism or plant-based is not something that's well-known when you're in the middle of wheat country and beef country. Right. Okay. So that's, so that's uh, where, we'll, where we'll pick up. That's uh, our foreshadowing. Okay. And it's called uh, 611 Bakehouse or 611? How do you say it? We say 611 Bakehouse. Our, our address is 611 Delaware Street. And um, we also planted our cafe was actually as a ministry. And so um, 611 also is in the Gospel of Matthew. Um, Chapter 6, verse 11 is give us this day our daily bread, which we had no idea it corresponded with our address, our street address. And so that's we had named it because of our location, 611. And um, it just was a... Happy coincidence, or we always think that it was meant to be before we knew it was meant to be. Right. Sounds great. Well, it's, it's better than like 666 Delaware Avenue, right? <laughs> exactly right. Cool. So um, you started, you said, in, in 2010, right? At, yeah. Yeah. At that point, we were, were you guys plant-based or, or interested in that or knowledgeable about that? Or did that come later? Um, well, in 2008, my husband read, um, he checked out a book, Farm Sanctuary by Jean Bauer from the library, and he read it, and we had been vegetarians since we started, we dated since high school. We were both gymnasts in high school, and when we were dating, um, we didn't date until, like, he was already in college. I was still a junior in high school, but as um, we had dated for like three years and started experimenting with vegetarian cooking, and he pretty much ate whatever I made with no complaining. <laughs> uh-huh. And um, so we'd been vegetarian off and on for most of our dating years. And by the time in 2008, we'd been married in 1982. So we'd already been married for quite some time. So he was used to different kind of food things that, that we were doing. He's like, now don't read this book unless you want to really change how we're eating, <laughs> which is just like a temptation. You can't, can't tell somebody don't read a book because then of course I'll read it. So I read it and then we changed that year. We became vegan and um, it was, it was easier then just because our kids were getting older um, and they were pretty much used to me cooking strange things or different things. And um, so eating that way was not a huge leap because we had been vegetarian for quite some time. I had basically used like Laurel's kitchen cookbook and um, another whole foods cookbook and vegetarianism from around the world, you know, things like that, but it was heavy on the dairy and eggs and stuff. So that was pretty much the only transition we had to make. And then when we started to plant this ministry, um, we had to renovate a building. The building that we're in is a 1936 hotel is what it was originally. And so um, it had to have a lot of things done. It took us almost a year to get things ready to open the shop. And so during that time, my husband was um, commuting back and forth. We lived in Stillwater, Oklahoma, which is where we went to high school and college. Oklahoma State University is there, home of the Cowboys. And, um, so he was commuting back and forth, and at that time, we just kind of 
slid back to our regular habits just because he was having to take his lunch with him. So then it became turkey sandwiches. And, uh, you know, if you don't plan ahead, then it's easy to slide back into regular habits. So we went back to our pretty much semi-vegetarian way of eating until um, my dad became much more ill towards 2010. And um, he'd had heart issues and um, passed away in 2011 due to pancreatitis but it also was associated with his heart. And so seeing him getting ill and the, his life just kind of becoming smaller because of all the medication he had to take for his heart and the just he and my mom. My mom had gotten transverse myelitis in 1996, and so she was limited in the way she could, like her legs and stuff worked, but they were quite numb, and she had peripheral vascular disease. It was clearly some lifestyle disease issues going on. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, as when he became ill and then passed away in 2011, it was just kind of like a wake up call for Brian and I. Um, I was close to 50. Brian was in his early 50s at that time, and we had, um, you know, we weren't heavy, heavy, but we had both put on probably 15 to 20 pounds, just that gradual creep of two to three pounds a year. Uh-huh. And our cholesterol was both over 200, and um, so our health was just that slip, slip sliding away a little bit. And so we ate, we read Eat to Live, and that really was like that was the turnaround. It was kind of like Farm Sanctuary was the beginning of it, and then we kind of went back to regular habits and then Eat to Live um, turned us around. Right. So so I find that really interesting because, so you know, ever, everyone's got their own sort of journey, and some people have an immediate conversion experience, and other people like you and me, it takes us a whole bunch of tries. And I sort of had a similar experience where I actually visited Farm Sanctuary and I felt mm-hmm. like a very committed vegan, ethical vegan at that point. And it, you know, this was maybe around 2005, 2006, and it just it didn't stick. And as mm-hmm. I think back on it, 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 I don't really understand. Like I was so clear, like this is, you know, an identity right. and, and a mission what, so what was it like, you know, to, to have read Farm Sanctuary to, and then you said, you know, we were going to become vegan because of the power of the story and the message of the book, and then find yourself right. sort of slipping back? Was there cognitive dissonance or was this sort of like, you know, being vegan was sort of like a, a dream that you forget almost as soon as you wake up? What was it like for you guys? <laughs> well, I'd say as far as in the food realm, as things go, I've more been the leader in the family. I Back in high school when I was a gymnast, I was bulimic. I had food issues, just that constant thing of when you're wearing a leotard and you're very body, you know, I was just very self-conscious of, you know, being in gymnastics meets and you're constantly comparing yourself to others and how you look compared to them. It, you know, it might not even be uh, up in your mind, but you're just aware. And so having had food issues before, it's like, um, I was three to three to four years of being bulimic actively, and then I stopped that. But my mind was still in the whole. Um, it's like it's harder to get over in your mind. So off and on, I've had food issues. So I've gotten to where like I'd be really strong into something, and then that would fade away. And so at first, it's like veganism was the same way. It's not that I didn't love the animals. I my grandparents had a farm, and this is like when I teach my class this is part of what I tell is like I was raised, my grandpa had some, he was like a gentleman farmer. He was a pharmacist and a part-time pastor. And on the weekends he farmed, but he had a small herd of cattle and, you know, I would be in the fields and, you know, through the fence, scratching a a young calf's head with a stick and, you know, feeding them grass and stuff. And then you'd notice one Sunday, like the mom and the baby cow are missing. And I'm like, okay, it didn't connect to me that like that next Sunday we had a lot of roast, you know, my grandma Mm. could roast. Um, it wasn't really in my mind of what was happening, like on the farm life. I knew he grew vegetables. He grew, had a big, huge vegetable garden, but I didn't connect with that. Those cows are our food until much later. Like the farm sanctuary was what awakened that. It's like, oh yeah, <laughs> that's what was going on. Although, you know, the cattle weren't mistreated. They were, they roamed freely. They weren't, you know, like what you see now in the stockyards and stuff like that. But, um, I think what happens is I, I would go so strongly in one direction towards one thing, then I would you know, backslide and just go back into my habits of different ways of eating. Um, once we read like Eat to Live, um, it just reawakened the health aspect of it and seeing my mom and dad's health 
it, I became more health focused as opposed to animal, you know, the ethics part of it. And I'm not saying I don't love the animals and still considered them, but um, it definitely became more health focused. Plus us aging, you know, we were getting to our fifties and um, I just seeing what's happening to my parents was a much stronger motivator to like, we've got to get serious about this. We can't just do it for a while and then stop and then do it for a while and then stop. Mm -hmm. So what, what, one of the things that I hear, um, from people who maybe like are former vegans is that they felt like their veganism was somehow part of or aligned with or fueled by or fueling d disordered eating. Um, mm -hmm. So, so I'm wondering if there's, if there was anything like, like my, my understanding of bulimia is that it's a, a control thing, right? Largely like you, control what you put in, you control what and when comes it comes out, um, right. the quantities. And so at some point, did veganism feel like, okay, here is another way that I'm controlling my food in a way that maybe isn't um, entirely healthy? <laughs> well, if it was something that I did, and um, I probably wouldn't admit to it, <laughs> because, you know, when you're bulimic, it is definitely a psychological disorder. Um, I felt like in my life during that time in my teens, um, there was drinking going on in my household. And I would say, and my parents just grew up in the time where it was like cocktails after dinner and, you know, everybody did it. And so when I was around 16, that rough time, it was just, I felt like things in my household were somewhat out of control. And like you said, and like I've read, because when you tend to have an illness, you read tons about it. Um, I'm sure that my binge eating and then, you know, throwing up was very much about controlling. It's like stuffing all my feelings down and then trying to purge those feelings in a physical way as opposed to like doing something smart, like going to a psychologist and working it out what's going on in my head. But as far as like being vegan now, um, I don't see it in the same sense. I don't feel like it's like a psychological thing or um, I'm trying to control myself. I do feel like I try to always keep my eating under control because there's always that vestige deep, dark back there somewhere. Like, you know, I could go out of control. Whereas now if mm. I did, I did binge, I, w I would never make myself throw up. Well, you know, that's definitely something that I wouldn't do, but it took a few years, you know, when I quit in college, there was years after that where I kind of would teeter and say, well, maybe I would, maybe I wouldn't. But it's I've become way healthier than that in my thinking and just you know overall health. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I think so. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you think it answered my question? <laughs> I think yeah. I think I uh, I have I have a sense of what you're talking about. Um, so you mentioned you know your parents and their health challenges, um, mm -hmm. and you know you so you, you grew up in uh, in Stillwater. Oklahoma, did you see a lot of what you would now consider, you know, lifestyle related disease? Um, I don't know. When I think about like my grandparents that lived on the farm, they ate what they grew. Now, granted, this is in the 70s. And I was recently talking with my sister about this. I just recall my grandpa when there was a red ant hill, he would just mix up some DDT or some malathion and pour it directly on the ant hill, And you just watch him do it. And they huh. use chemicals in their garden so um because nothing was regulated back then and so you know he ended up he died in a car crash but he was dying from colon cancer at the time and my grandmother died of ovarian cancer um i mean she had ovarian cancer then she had a stroke so i, w I wouldn't think if you lived a really really healthy life that that would be what you might end up with as a disease to die from hmm. but um i i took that more to be about the chemicals that were on their farm because they were definitely they worked hard they, um, you know, no drinking, no smoking. And, you know, as far as that part of the lifestyle, they had good lifestyle habits. So then my grandparents on the other side ended up, my grandpa had diabetes and um, my grandmother had really high blood pressure. She passed away in her sleep one Christmas evening and um, that she'd had the surgery on her carotid arteries to clean them out and always had high blood pressure. So there's a lot of vascular illness in my family there's several been several strokes and things like that so I know my parents like growing up the diet we ate was definitely we often had steak baked potatoes crab you know 
we ate what they would call high on the hog, even though it wasn't a lot of pork. <laughs> we did have baby back ribs every once in a while, but it was a lot of steak. So, uh-huh. And they smoked and drank. So, I mean, the health, it was just what was kind of the norm, I think, for in the 70s. You know, people were just not as aware of what could kill you. Yeah. So when you um, went vegetarian, I guess it was as a, as a teenager? Probably in my late teens, I would say probably 18, 19. Yeah. yeah. So, what was the motivation there? Was it, were you just sort of like part of of a counterculture, or what, what was what was your interest? I didn't really ever like meat very much. Um, whenever I ate pork, I would get a headache. So I pretty much just said, you know, I'm not going to eat pork. And I think it was just really that whole thing of seeing the cows. What is what was happening with my grandpa on his farm, just in a small small way, and. I didn't ever think I was counterculture. I just felt like I felt better when I didn't eat meat. So, you know, I would still eat things like turkey, turkey sandwiches and, you know, more of the white meat, chicken and turkey didn't fall off my diet nearly as quickly as beef and pork. Uh-huh. So were, were you um, the subject of conversation either in your family or friends? Like, were you a, were you a, an outlier or a weirdo or did, did you did you manage to? <laughs> Or did nobody care, or did you manage to, to, you know, downplay it? Nobody really seemed to take note of it. Like, at family dinners and stuff, my dad was such a teaser, would always tease, like, you know, are you going to have carrots for dinner, you know, ha, 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 and things like that. But I think they just always thought, because I'd been a gymnast and I was more into health things, like my my initial major in college was nutrition, but I kind of had that fear of – I've already been ill with an eating disorder. Do I want to deal with food the rest of my life? So I switched to elementary education and I ended up becoming a teacher. But um, I, I I didn't, I got teased mainly, but, you know, I, I was used to being teased just because that was our family was a family of fun and being teased was just a normal thing. So I could dish it out as well as take it. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, all right. So let's, uh, let's fast forward to okay. uh, to 611 Bakehouse. Tell, so you you live in Perry, Oklahoma now? Yes, we moved to Perry in 2010. We had like I said my husband was working on the building um for the year prior um and so he was driving back and forth and it took a lot of renovations. We didn't have much money and so we would do things like a lot of uh painting or uh, mudding uh I painted the floor, uh, things that we could do that didn't require much money until we had more donations because we planted as a ministry. And so we actually started meeting as a church in the area that was going to be the seating area of the cafe in June of 2009. And it was like very rustic. The floors weren't done. We didn't have heating and air. We had this gigantic fan that would blow just to cool us off because summers in Oklahoma are quite hot. And Gradually, as we would build up um, some money, then we would do more renovations. So that's pretty much why it took so long to get started. So um, when we started just in 2010, we opened just doing coffee drinks and breakfast, and we had very limited hours. And then that summer, after we finally got some heating and air in, because we weren't going to like do tons of ovens and hot stuff while we didn't have any of that, um, it was like June, we expanded our menu to lunch. And we had always offered a vegetarian sandwich called an Elite Veggie because the the cafe here prior when it was associated with the hotel was called the Elite uh-huh. Hotel. And so we named the sandwich after the the hotel. So we always had one vegetarian option. We didn't do salads at the time or soup. We were just very limited in, you know, baked goods and sandwiches. And I um at that point was still not really doing any vegan baking at all. I was baking mainly just mainly from scratch, but still using butter, eggs, you know, half and half and things like that. Mm-hmm. And were, were there takers of the, the Eli sandwich? Oh, yeah, they were. They um, they really liked the cilantro hummus. That's the spread that goes on it. And that was just homemade, and of course, made with olive oil. I still did it with oil back then. And we still have people that that's their favorite sandwich. Now, some people will add turkey or chicken to it. And we, and we say, you're sabotaging the veggie. You know, how can you do that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, yes, there's still people that like it. We've added more um, since we've added more vegetarian and vegan options. It's dropped down in its popularity because there's others that people like more than that. So, but it's still, I don't think it will ever go off the menu because it was like the original veggie sandwich that we offered. Gotcha. 
Um, so you said you, you, this is this was part initially of a, of a ministry. Did you mm-hmm. at the beginning, and do you now see, uh, you know, a a connection between the 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 goals of the mission of the ministry and the plant based or vegan or health aspects of of the food? Well, it's definitely morphed over the years. When we planted, um, the vision we had was four four things. It was to build relationships, change lives, unite churches, and transform the community. Now, we knew what um, build relationships look like because when you have customers that come in um, over time, um, it's apparent really that everybody, not just people in Perry, but everybody wants to be known and needed. And so knowing people and knowing their names and eventually knowing their drinks, which we laugh sometimes because we'll see people and um, know them more by what they eat and what they drink than sometimes their name. You know, my husband and I are always back and forth. We'll kind of look at each other and we help each other out with names. But even when we were teachers, I I learned as a second grade teacher, if you learn your student's name on that very first day, when you go out to recess and you have some rascal doing something naughty and you can call them out by name, it's like, oh, she knows my name. And so learning from you know from way back then when I taught in the late 80s early 90s knowing the children's names was very important so and my husband was a special ed teacher also so he both of us come from a background of education and um, so knowing our customers names has always been very important and by doing that that was the first part building relationships that that was our key was um, because Perry people always told us when we were here you know transforming the building that Perry was like a town that was hard to get into and that, you know, you'd have a hard time getting in. There's a a really old restaurant here. And actually they have an article in the Stillwater newspaper that when we were out walking today, a friend of ours was delivering the newspapers in those little, where you buy them out of the machine. And he yelled across the the street, Hey, Brian. And my husband was like, what? And Vernon said, did you see that, you know, the, the comeback, which is the name of this other cafe, they've got an article in the paper. You need to get caught up and get your, your cafe in there. And it was just teasing us because this cafe has been in town since the 20s, the late 20s. So it's you know been going strong for a long time. And so people, some people were saying when we moved in, it's like, oh, you're competing with a long time. You know, it's going to be hard to make it. You won't last. And we just, because we weren't doing it because we wanted to do it, my husband and I became Christian late in life. And um, I tell people that, you know, Jesus probably got bloody knuckles knocking on the door of my heart because I was stubborn and I didn't listen for a long time. So we were in our 40s and we um, just got down and said a prayer and said, you know, we've waited so long to become Christian. Whatever you want us to do, we will do. Well, that's easier said than done because at the time my husband was driving back and forth. We both worked for Life Church. I worked in Stillwater and he worked in Edmond, which is really close to Oklahoma City. So he had like a 45 minute commute every morning. And during that time in his commute, um, God was telling them that he was going to plant a church. Well, here's my husband. He's a you know, special ed uh, background and got his master's in clinical psychology and, you know, had been Christian maybe one to two years by the time he has this job, which, you know, the story of that was just kind of landed in his lap. There's nothing he applied for. I didn't apply for my job. It landed in my lap also. So he kind of argues back and forth, which, you know, is not wise, <laughs> especially after you said, we'll do anything you want. And you're mm. arguing, uh, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not cut out for this. So, um, coming to Perry was not anything like that we wanted to do. It's what God called us to. And so we had no training in coffee shops. We had never done anything in the business realm. We had worked as teachers. We both worked in the career services office at Oklahoma state university in different realms. I was a job poster. He worked with students as a career counselor. And then we both had worked for life church in separate, um, separate kind of uh, jobs there. But God was like that whole time training us to work together, to be side by side, um, 24 hours a day, basically. And so um, just the whole idea of us coming here is, and to do something we'd never done before was really out of our realm. So the building relationships part, we knew how to do. So we had to kind of base everything we did off of what we knew and learn as we go. And so that that's like the first part of it. Then the uh, changing lives we don't change lives. Uh, we know that the power of the Holy Spirit and God changes lives. So us being us and loving our neighbors as we love ourselves is the power that changes lives. So at some point, you know, you're having an effect on people when 
um, it's kind of like that relationship you have with your barber or your hairdresser. If you're a woman, when you get in the chair, you can talk and talk and talk and they can actually do some of the jobs sometimes you think a psychologist might do just because people tend to tell a lot to the people they trust. Mm -hmm. And so we'd have people that were going through divorces we didn't even know and were having a hard time and they would come back later and tell us, you know, like, you know, when I came in and I didn't have to say what my order was for my drink and you just made it for me and, you know, said, have a, had a good day. He said, you know, that meant a whole lot. And we had another customer one time that came in with her husband. We'd never met her husband, but she came almost daily to get a frozen white chocolate mocha. And they came in one day looking kind of sad. And she said, we just thought you'd tell you, we'd want to tell you that our son passed away last night. Mm. And uh, we thought you'd want to know because you make our coffee for us, you know, and get a chance to hold their hand and, you know, pray for them on the spot and, and just wish them well. But you don't ever think when you're making somebody's coffee or making breakfast for them, or whatever, that it's going to become that kind of relationship. So over the time, our ministry has morphed. We held services on Sundays, and then we came to a point in time that we held services on Sundays and Thursdays because we didn't want to compete with many, many churches do Wednesday night services. So we thought we want to complete the body of, of Christ and not compete in the body of Christ. So we gave up Sunday services for while just did Thursdays. And then there came a point in time when we didn't have any services at all, and my husband was going around filling in for some other churches that had lost their pastors either due to death or getting a job somewhere else, things like that, for about two to three years. And then we slowly started back on Sundays again. We have a small group that meets like 10 to 15 of us, and we're pretty close-knit. Um, so the Uniting Churches, as a part of that, those four statements, when my husband went around and was, you know, preaching at the Presbyterian Church or Call Street Chapel or the Methodist Church, um, Assembly of God, just all the different denominations. We're a small town of 5,000. There's about 19 churches here in town. So that's just kind of Bible Belt for you. And uniting the churches, I mean, he was able to preach in all those um, churches and welcomed. And, you know, the whole thing that people had said that coming to Perry would be hard because it's a kind of a closed community. Many, many people have lived here a long, long time. We never felt it. We felt welcomed, you know, from the beginning and loved by the people around here. And I think because we came not with our purposes in mind, but with a higher purpose and knowing that we were being used for a purpose and all we had to do was wake up daily and be obedient to that call, which means getting up at four o'clock. We both have our own little routines in the morning and getting downstairs by five. Um, that's our whole podcast listening time. I listen to my Bible on my version app. I listen to that while I'm down there, but I listen to your podcast and lots and lots of others. Um, have our quiet time before we open at seven. Mm -hmm. And then we're open from seven till two and then clean up and get back around 3.30. And I have now become a daily napper, which I never in my life like uh, naps, that we nap yeah. every day just so that we don't fall asleep at 7.30. Yeah. So, but, what, um, I mean, what, one thing I'm hearing is um, um, it's, it seems like the idea of surrendering to something uh, greater than yourself, whether it's to, you know, your, your understanding of what God or the Holy Spirit wants of you, or a lot of my uh, friends who aren't necessarily uh, religious in a traditional sense, like just sort of surrendering to the flow of life to um, like, the, it removes a lot of stress, even, even, even okay. as things can be stressful, there's a certain, um, like, I'm, I find myself constantly self doubting and second guessing and having to go back to, you know, uh, fundamental works of, of spiritual or life wisdom that I get away from. And like, you know, is this the job mm -hmm. I should have? Is this the fact that it's not doing well right now? What does that mean? Does that mean like, like, you know, there's a constant gymnastics meet going on in my brain. And right. I'm, I'm wondering, um, you know, for myself about what surrender feels like. Even because none when you, once you surrender, like none of your problems go away, and none of the difficulties get solved. But in another way, they stop being problems and become something else. Do you know what I'm what I'm trying to get at? I do. I do because um, I always tell <laughs> when people ask, you know, like you came over here, like oh, it's always been your dream to have a coffee shop. It's like, well, no, it's nothing that we ever thought we would do. 
and when God, Brian, Brian's an ISTJ, if you're familiar with the Myers-Briggs um, uh-huh. personality types, and I'm an INFP. So he, he's definitely a thinker. When we uh, worked for Life Church, they did a lot of personality testing. And, you know, when he came out with his test scores, he's like the highest thinker there can be. And I'm the highest feeler there can be. And, you know, they say opposites attract. And, you know, we're coming on 36 years of marriage. So I guess it's worked for us. But um, he would... Like when God was telling him all this stuff that he was going to do, he was keeping it all in because, you know, combined thinker with introvert. And it's just it's a conversation going on in his head. And so when he finally told me, you know, this is what's going on and this is what we're going to do, you know, according to what God is saying, I was like, I flipped out pretty much and had a crying jag for like a week. And I characterized myself as the ball and chain because we were living on the farm with my mom and dad, not with them, but it was 26 acres. We had a mobile home down in the woods that we had taken down there on the land when our kids were little because we wanted them to live in the country. Um, we'd ended up homeschooling them, which that was far more radical for me coming from a family of educators than actually being a vegetarian or a vegan hmm. because um, my grandparents both had worked at Oklahoma State University in the College of Education. My mom retired as an educator. I have so many aunts and uncles that were teachers. It was just like naturally, like I didn't really want to be an elementary teacher, and that's what I became. Um and so at that point in time, my mom and dad's health was becoming, you know, worse. And we had two kids in college at OSU and our youngest daughter was like a sophomore, junior in high school. We had good jobs. We had retirement plans. We had all this. Life was good. We had just a job where you go to work and then you come home and you can do what you want in the evening. And so I was ball and chain and didn't want to come along and do this thing. And so I had I went on a three-day fast, uh, a liquid fast, and on the last day, I remember exactly where I was driving home, and I was really, really hungry. <laughs> you know, coming from a former bulimic, I was really, really hungry, and I just remember sitting at the stoplight, and I just got this SOS, which, you know, that's like a cry for help, but this SOS was not what you might think. It was like, surrender, obey, submit, and then came another SOS. It's like, serve others sacrificially, and it's like, Whoa. And I went home and I just started journaling and just like praying, like, what does this mean? It's like, I don't get to be selfish. Like, I mean, I've always characterized myself as like, I'm selfish and I'm stubborn and, you know, to serve others sacrificially or surrender, obey, submit goes, it's the antithesis of what we as humans want. And so I won't say that I instantly got over it because there was many other crying things that I, I had to learn to surrender and that each day for us was like Groundhog Day. You know, you get up, you feel like you do the exact same things. I'm baking, we're cleaning, we're doing that. But the only thing that makes it not Groundhog Day is that the interaction with the customers. Mm-hmm. And what has happened over time is we decided, you know, Monday, Sundays are our church thing. Um, and I, after I, I became vegan, like really, really much more strongly, like 2015, I don't know what marked it, but I, I signed on for the meals, like with Happy Herbivore, where she does her meal planner. I did that for a year. We went to a conference in Atlanta that was food is medicine. And that was really like, got us really fired up. And then I took in the summer of 2016, I did the plant-based nutrition course with um, Dr. T. Colin Campbell. Because I felt like I'd studied nutrition. I mean, I have a list here, all the books I've read and documentaries we've watched. And it was just been like my obsession on the side just to become way more, you know, as knowledgeable as I can, you know, listen to the podcast, read these books, all this. But I felt like I had no letters behind my name that says I can talk to people about this. Mm-hmm. It just naturally comes out because I'm enthusiastic, but taking that course just gave me a little bit more like, okay, I can at least say I've taken this. I haven't gotten my whole degree or things like that. And so that's when we decided that I would start teaching classes because a lot of people have that come to the counter, you know, the people have weight issues and health issues these days. And they would notice that Brian and I are still, you know, our high school weights and we're, we're at a healthy weight. We look healthy. We're vibrant. We're the, the some person says, you guys are the same every day. You're always happy. You're always glowing. And, you know, how do you do it? A lot of people would say, how do you do it? And it's like, I felt like I needed to have an outlet to spread that message. And so we just call them the 611 classes and I teach, you know, demo cooking demos and we get to eat the food. And I also have a healthy food for an abundant life class that I interweave in there that we'll do a potluck, but we won't necessarily cook on that day. Uh-huh. But that's just another um, 
it's another facet of our ministry because we don't charge people to come. They can give a donation if they want. And, um, you know, and Brian, Brian does the, mostly the ministry side of it and he doesn't actually preach. We do all video based. So we access other people because he didn't really have time to sit down and write a sermon. So we just access other great teachers and we do video worship, just access from other great worship bands. We don't have our own band. It's, I don't know. That's kind of what it's come to as far as us grabbing onto the lifestyle of being whole food plant-based and sharing it with others. And we have one lady that she and I have been kind of food accountability partners and she's lost 130 pounds. And since, you know, we, she had an issue maybe since 2013, she gained like 30 of them back and she like came to me and she's like, what, what can we do? And so we, you know, we're really accountable and she would not eat enough calories. I'm like, you need to have some more beans. You need to add some more, you know, actually calories. She was not eating enough. And, but she's, she's stayed on it and she's kept maintained that way as well. So, which is like, you know, what is it? The 2% of people that lose that much weight and keep it off uh-huh. wow. for many years. And then so, another yeah. lady since January. Um, so I, oh, I, I'm just, I'm just curious about, um, so you're, you know, you're in, uh, as you wrote to me, smack dab in the middle of beef country, and now, you know, people are coming to you because you have this, you know, a, a cafe or a restaurant where people can get all sorts of food. Mm-hmm. You have this ministry. Um, but at the same time, they come in and you're preaching or teaching a very subversive message. Uh, do you, you know, is there is there pushback or are people, um, you know, like in North Carolina, you know, I mean, you know, the, the plant pure story. Um, you know, yeah. North Carolina, like the pushback from people who make their living or whose families made their living from animal agriculture. Like, is it is it all, you know, ponies and rainbows here or, or do you, you know, <laughs> upset people as well? Uh, it's very funny. I mean, I think because we have good relationships with, <clears throat> excuse me, our customers, uh, the only time this is funny because this is one of the books that you co-authored. It was Proteinaholic. We had, you know, we've set out on the table and that have books out there. And at this time I had Proteinaholic out there. And one of our good customers raises Longhorn beef. And I've actually bought beef from him and, you know, given it to my sister who likes to, you know, eat good homegrown. You know, it's not like anything that comes from a factory farm. And when he saw that book on the uh, coffee table, he kind of held up. He's like, what? What's this? And kind of winked and um, set the book down and nothing else was said. And then the judge that's across the way on the, on the, in the courthouse, his offices are just a couple down from us. And his, his son now is a lawyer in there because he was elected judge, so he's not practicing law anymore. But we have a sandwich of the month and a salad of the month. And he'll always come in and say, is a beef on the sandwich this time in the month? And like if it's chicken or whatever on there, because I haven't really offered a vegan sandwich as a sandwich of the month because I think people would probably just go nuts. But he's always looking for the beef. Where's the beef? Or if it's a chicken sandwich, he's like, oh, I'm not sure about chicken. You know, so it's it's mainly teasing. But you know, like in the green smoothie, we we get green smoothies and you know, getting people to taste the green smoothie because they'll look at it and you know they'll say what they think it looks like, which is like something in a <laughs> a bad diaper or something like that. And uh, <laughs> but once they taste it, they're like, oh my gosh, it's not so bad. And we have them like you know. The policemen come in here and they sit and they have their coffee and stuff. And we have, you know, several of them, you know, they'll drink a green smoothie. And so it, it's just, I think it's in the mood, how, like, how you present things. Like, we're not dogmatic. We're not, like, having banners out that, you know, that, you know how poor your health choices are and you're going to die and all this. It's it's done with love and and humor and, you know, just being an example, like, kind of model like we're like this because this is what we do and we'd love for you to be like this too. Come join us. It's like a come join us kind of thing. Not a like you're bad. Uh, you know, what you're doing is killing yourself kind of thing. And you want people to have good habits. And I like some of the things we offer are not so healthy. Like we have really big cinnamon rolls and caramel pecan rolls on Friday that are not vegan. And, you know, people buy those and it's like you, you look at people and it's like, oh, I wish you'd make a better choice. It's nothing you ever say out loud, but in your heart, you just feel for them. And like you feel their pain when they're moving mm-hmm. and it's hard to move. And, yeah. So, um, so I've talked that to people. Yeah. I've talked to people who are in the um, food industry who've gone whole food plant based or vegan. And they they have this 
moment where they don't know how they're going to make a living if they go totally vegan, mm -hmm. but they feel really bad about contributing, you know, about buying chicken and beef and cheese and dairy, uh, about preparing mm -hmm. it, about serving it to customers. Um, and a lot of them get, you know, get out of the business because they're like, well, I know I can't make a living as a vegan coffee shop, you know, if I stop right. selling all the other stuff. And I'm, I'm curious about how you guys are navigating if, if it's an issue or if you feel like, you mm -hmm. know what, we're, we're doing everything we can. And so it's not a big deal or like, are there, are there, are there tensions and conflicts internally right. around, you know, straddling? Well, I, I feel the tension, like, you know, when I, I'm the cook, like Wednesdays is my day to cook and I'm making sandwiches and I'm handling meat and cheese and I, I know because I've read and I've watched documentaries, I know what happens to these animals. Yes, definitely. I feel the tension of it. But I also feel like um, we're not going to change the entire world all at once. And so we kind of have to meet people where they're at. And if you think about where we are in the world, like a totally vegan coffee shop in Perry, Oklahoma with 5,000 people would probably not be here very long. Now, we aren't here because we wanted to be here and there's been months as we've gone, you know, we've been doing it been open since 2010 that, you know, we sometimes wonder, are we going to make it this month? And as we said, God has always provided it. You know, we survive on what we do in our coffee shop, but we also have people that donate to our ministry that um, they believe in what we're doing. And so they give money. It's not necessarily that they eat with us all the time, but um, one of those people that donates actually has become vegan and he gets the vegan options when he comes. And that's just happened in the last year. And so it wasn't like us going out with banners and saying, you have to eat this way. Um, yes, I do feel the tension when we have to buy that stuff. And I feel like the money is going to those industries that I don't want to support. But I feel like if I can offer an alternative and encourage people to make those choices as often I can and just bit by bit, um, it's kind of like, was it Kathy Freston's book, The Lean, where you just, bit by bit make those changes. Uh, there's going to be people that are going to change overnight. And then there's going to be those that just gradually get that taste for something healthier. They feel better once they start eating this way. And then, then they make the switch. I feel like I, I'm there to offer it. Like here it is, I'm offering it, but I'm not the person I'm non-confrontational for sure. You know, my personality type INFP really high feeler. I'm not going to stuff something down somebody's throat as far as you've got to try this, but I will very eagerly offer it to them. We, I do baked goods now that are vegan and, um, you know, I'll, I'll offer this. I say, try this muffin, this chocolate muffin and, you know, see what you think. And then they really, really like it. It actually tastes better than the ones I made traditionally. So if that makes sense, it's like I, I know that what we're doing when we buy things from those companies is contributing. But at the same time, I feel like by offering and being non-confrontational, uh, it's a more peaceable way to get people to come over to the side. Yeah, yeah. Well, it reminds me a little bit, and this is kind of what was kind of, kind of sound weird when I when I interviewed Nathan Runkle of Mercy for Animals, and he's talking about the people who go undercover for months at a mm -hmm. time. That you know, they're also like, oh, I don't know if I can do. You know, and it's obviously you know, slaughtering animals is not the same as you know making hamburgers or whatever. Um, right. But, st right. but still being. Um, you know, sacrificing your own purity for a greater goal, sounds like. Yeah, because I, I care about the health of people. Um, I do care about the animals. You know, we lived in the country. We had our own chickens and had some rabbits for a little while until some wild dogs came and did, got rid of them for us. But, you know, we ate our eggs from our chickens. Of course, we weren't vegan, you know, for part of that time. We still lived there for a couple of years when we became vegan, but we ate their eggs at one point. We had this rooster that had picked our daughter Kylie really close to the eye. We're like, okay, that's the end of him. And so our brother-in-law helped us. He grew up in Louisiana. He knew how to wring a chicken's neck and do all that stuff. And, and actually the kids were grossed out and they wouldn't eat any of the chicken. They're like, oh my God, that was our rooster, you know? So um, hmm. that was like one escapade into actually killing our own food for our own animals for food, which just one rooster didn't last long. But um, yeah, I understand the, the whole struggle of, how you make your business and, um, and you know, if you're going to go under if you don't offer what the people want. And But the difference also for us is that we didn't get into this business to make money. We're not here because we chose to be this profitable, you know, 
big cafe. We're here because God said, this is what you're going to do. And so we really feel like it's not our choice, but we get up and serve daily. And if he still wants us to be here, then we're still going to make it. And that's what we've seen each month is like, we we're still in the black. And so we're still here. That means we're here for another month and we're going to do our best to serve people what they want, which a lot for a lot of them, that's going to be a roast beef sandwich. And we're also going to offer things that are alternative to that, that we believe would be much healthier for them to eat every day. Mm -hmm. So this might be a hard question, um, but can you see the difference that you've made in Perry, Oklahoma? Like if we did a, uh, it's a wonderful life and, you know, like, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? It's Yes. It might be, it might be like a, a hard question to answer, not from a place of, of like ego and pride, but I'm curious what you right. what you think. Well, I think if you asked our customers, um, they could probably give a better answer than I can looking from the inside out. But um, I think we would be missed if we were to leave. If that helps answer the question, I think there's been many people that their lives have been changed through us being here. Whether it's been from the ministry side, the cafe side, the <clears throat> the being here when something tragic happened in their lifestyle. You know, we've we've been through two deaths in my family. Um, Brian's mom has moved away. She's dealing with some cognitive decline. And, <clears throat> excuse me, and other customers have lost people in their families. And we've tried to be there for them as more than just a friend, but like, like a family that's not related by blood. And so uh, we've become very, uh, a part of the community. <laughs> Even like after this last election, my husband decided to run for city council and he's now on city council. So uh, that is like something in my whole entire life, knowing my husband, I never would have dreamed that he would do anything in the government realm. And so he's actually a part of the city council now. So um, I think when you get elected to an office, that might say something about what the community thinks to you because he was, he did win the election. So. Hmm. Nice. So I just have I have one more question, and I'm just uh, I'm asking it for myself because um, okay. I'm curious. I'm curious about um, you know you, you mentioned that you like and listen to Plant Yourself, and like I think of myself as pretty sort of irreverent and like not particularly religious, and I curse a lot, <laughs> and I like <laughs> I, I'm I'm curious about. Uh, you know, and and a, uh, right. You know, speak, speaking to a a uh, a Christian audience, I didn't I didn't realize that I had any right. uh, you know anything that was um, you know appealing. Yeah, well, I think if you met us, you would uh, be very surprised because Brian and I, neither one of us would say that we're we are religious, uh, we are spiritual, um, and we have gone. We, when we were over in uh, Massachusetts, he was doing his internship at the May Institute for Children with Autism back in 1986. And we took some community classes there with this wonderful lady named Jan Baker. She's since passed on, but it was a Zen Buddhism class. And we were very much into Zen Buddhism. And then um, we read tons of stuff on that. We've, uh, at one point, I was reading books on Wicca and how it's you know, related to whole, all of nature and really into that. When we homeschooled our kids, it's funny because people thought we were Christian because that's what a lot of Christian families do in this part of the country. And we didn't homeschool for Christian reasons. We homeschooled for um, freedom of education for our kids. Brian and I had both been in the educational system, and um, we felt like with me being their teacher, quote their teacher, I was never their teacher, I was their facilitator of resources, um, that that gave them freedom to, you know, as it was one to three as opposed to me being one teacher to 30. So they had a lot more individual attention. They lived in the country. They ran wild. We didn't go to church. You know, it's like we just lived good. Like, I don't know. We were what we would call good people. We knew basically, you know, now that we had the cornerstone missing, which was a relationship with Jesus, but we lived good lives and people were like, they must be Christian because of how they live. And so we try to just still be those regular people that we were. We don't, we aren't like, religious in the sense of uh, feeling better than other people or anything. We're just, we're, we're regular people. And I know regular people cuss and I sometimes cuss too and, you know, have selfish thoughts and sometimes want to run away from the responsibility of it all and just, you know, go to a, a 
a crazy country like Costa Rica or something and just, you know, live down there. <laughs> and so your cussing doesn't bother me. <laughs> and I listen to lots of podcasts. And, you know, I listen since it even began, like Rich Roll. I, I try to get a wide variety, like the 10% Happier, um, Super Soul Conversations with Oprah. There's tons and tons of good people on that podcast where you get all sorts of perspectives from different religions and ways of living. So um, I don't know. I just, I feel like if I can be open to people in their ways, whether they are Christian or not, that by loving people, that's the best way to go. Love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, that's, you're supposed to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love others as you love yourself. And that's really, really hard to do in this day and age, but you just can't give up. You got to keep trying. Hmm. Got it. I I think I just, uh, (laughs) I learned something. That's great. So what what are your uh, what are God's plans for you for the coming year? <laughs> well, I don't know that I could plan that um, that far in advance. We just get up daily and do what we've been called to do that day because that's what we've been given. So um, continue with the classes. I've actually planned my classes all the way through May, and so continue doing those. Um, I ha- there's a friend of ours from Kentucky, actually, with the church that we're connected with in Kentucky. He and his wife became plant-based last January because he, he'd he had high blood pressure, and his um, heart doctor said that there was some blockage. And so she and I um, have written a lot back and forth, you know, recipes and ideas and all stuff to do. Well, uh, she wrote me just last week and had a picture of him. They were prepping all their veggies, and he was leaning in the picture, and she said, guess who got off all his blood pressure medicines this last week? And, um, like, it's those things that motivate me to keep teaching and keep sharing information with others. And, you know, they, they're in Kentucky where it's like the soul of Southern cooking, frying everything. And um, he's always been a runner. Even with the running, he still had the issue with his blood pressure and stuff, and he runs with his doctor. I'm like, what better huh. way to convince his doctor that this is the way to go is by coming off all his blood pressure medicines when, uh, when he's changed his diet, not necessarily changed his exercise lifestyle. So it's cool things like that that keep keep that going. And, you know, as long as we wake up and uh, God says you're still going to be here, then we'll just keep going down there at 4 o'clock and listening to podcasts and chopping veggies and making good stuff. Right on. Well, this is great. It's such a, such a, a happy, positive story and, a, and frankly, a, a week and month where I've been looking for them. Um, as, uh, <laughs> oh, you know, there's so, there's so much, um, sort of conflict and division and, um, sort of binary <laughs> approaches to life these days. It's really nice to, to hear, um, a story of a community that is coming together and, and coming together in a, in a way that's, uh, you know, o- offering, hope and promise as opposed to judgmentalism. So I, I thank you for that infusion. Well, thank you very much. I just really enjoyed our conversation and uh, look forward to future podcasts listening that you, know, you produce. I, I really, it, it makes my morning go all that much better when I have something good to listen to while I'm doing the same thing every single day. <laughs> all right. Well, thank right. you. And uh, I, just want, I just want to say hi to, um, to future Tina who's listening to the podcast. And th- th- exactly. Thanks for this Thank conversation. <laughs> Thank you very much. Alex. So um, it's, uh, it's great. And, and so also you're, you're not far from, from the interstate from 35, which goes um, like from like Kansas city to Wichita. It, I, well, it's from Oklahoma city. Oh. I mean, we just go like we're maybe two oh. miles off the interstate. So we go two miles to the West and then we're down to Oklahoma city within an hour. And then north, we'd go to Wichita. We'd be there within an hour and a half. That's like, if we want to go on an airplane, because all three of our kids live out like New York City, Flagstaff, and Houston. So if uh-huh. we want to fly to see any of them, it's like Tulsa, Wichita, or Oklahoma City are our closest airports. So. Gotcha. Because I was just looking at the, at the map here. So any, anyone who's driving from Dallas, Fort Worth to Kansas City or Des Moines, you're right on mm-hmm. the way. We are right on the way. And we actually, I. Um, I put our menu out on uh, oh that app that's got all of the people use when they travel. Of course, I'm blocking it right now. Like TripAdvisor, or? Um, Happy Cow, Happy, Happy Cow. Oh, okay, yep. Yeah. Okay, we're on HappyCow.net. Yeah, and so people can find us that way. And 
you know, we're just a breakfast and lunch. So seven to two, Tuesday through Friday, and then we're open Saturday mornings, eight to 11. So we don't do dinner. So they'd have to come by for breakfast or lunch. All right. Well, so I'll, uh, I'll put a link to, uh, to your, your happy cow listening. Do you have a website? Yes. 611bakehouse.com. And it's just the number 611bakehouse.com. Okay. So, so that, that'll, that'll go in there as well. And so maybe we'll get you some, uh, cross country visitors to uh yeah and i'm on instagram is give me this day give me this day on instagram great so we'll, we'll email i'll get all those and i'll put them up in the show notes sounds perfect awesome well tina ahern thank you for all you do and thank you for taking the time today thank you so much i enjoyed it very much all right if you enjoyed this episode of the plant yourself podcast and you'd like to support our mission you can subscribe and leave a review on itunes you can also become a patron of the show at plantyourself.com. Click on the Patreon link on the right sidebar, or you can just go to patreon.com and search for Plant Yourself, and you can become an ongoing monthly subscriber, which helps so much. Of course, if you would like to get something for paying money, you can always buy a bunch of copies of Sick to Fit from Amazon. You can buy the paperback for $9.95, I think, and three bucks of that comes to me and Josh. So you can read the show notes for today's episode at plantyourself.com slash 302. And if you're new to the show, you can catch up on 301 archived episodes over at plantyourself.com. Okay, so the only garden news is that I've been hauling wood chips to build up the paths between the beds. And in about two or three years, those wood chips will have decomposed into soil, at which point they will become the beds. And I will grab some more wood chips and continue the process. In running news, I ran a couple times with Josh last week while he was up here. And so his resting pace, his easy pace is about an 8.20, 8.30 mile. And so that is not my easy pace. So I got some good, challenging, although short workouts, because we really were committed to spending dawn till dusk getting this audiobook ready. Today, it's a beautiful day. It's going to be in the 50s, clear day after Christmas, so I'm not expecting a lot of traffic. So I'm thinking of doing a good, vigorous 15-miler. Um, I'll let you know next week if that happens. So let's bring up the strains of Sabali Dawn, the Dance of Peace, once again, while I thank Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use it as the theme music for this show. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. I think I have a couple new ones this week. Maybe they haven't actually given me permission to say their names yet. Uh, I do have a couple of new ones. We'll, we'll see at the bottom of the list what comes up. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Marrow, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hathaway, Mary Jean Wheeler, Alan Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Burns, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jelvin Jett. <laughs> I got so excited to say Tina Ahern in this list that I completely blew it. Let's try again. Jen Vilkanovsky, David Bysak, Mysterious, Michelle X, Elfbeth Feltman, Victoria Toleman, Nobelea, Stoller, Allen, Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Andrew, Josina, Juliet, Roland, Student, Alex, Sarah, Circus. Oh my gosh, I'm doing terribly today. Sarah Durkis, Rise of Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Leanne Peterson, Janet Selby, Ugling Mike. Claire Adams, Tom Franzek, Jeanette Benham, Gila Serre, David Donahue, Blair Seibert, Dorona Vizov, Gio and Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesner, Ruth Ann Thunderbrook, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, the equally mysterious Tracy Z, Alicia, oh, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Linneman, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harper, Stephanie Holmes, Martha Bergner, Nicole Ramsey, Susan Ahmad, Molly Levine, the inscrutable Harry R., Susan Laverty, the Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Sharp, Karen Burry, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Ashley Corker, and Kelly Machia, Deanne Norton, Bonnie Lynch of Plan Happy Oregon, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Theresa Copel, Shell Rutledge, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Brian Sheridan, Shannon Hirschman, Kate Rosalind, Ayat, Julie Langhelm, Kenneth Gardies, and Susan Wakani, Hayline, Eric Greer, and Alicia Davis, Aviva Lael. Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Orlikoski of Plant Power for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Moranich, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Kelly Baker, Miracle, Ann Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny, Jenny Hazelton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justine Divid, Joshua Sommermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, Lori Fanny, Leanne, I'm just going to leave this up. I, I would go back and uh, redo this most days. But, uh, you, need, you need to see how absolutely incompetent I can be. Linnea Lundquist, Valerie Hummel, Deb Casilla, Emily Iaconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McAtee, Dan Picorni, Stephen Leenan, Patty DiMartino, Mike and Donna Kartz, Deanne Bishop, Bilbury Elf, Gunter Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Molden, Teresha, Trisha Adams, and Ian Kramer. I guess I don't have permission for the new folks to say their names yet. 
for all of your generous support of the podcast and for, well, for being kind to me as my tongue tripped over its own self today. That's it for this week. As always, be well, my friends. All right, time for thanks. Thanks to Will Ridenour for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willridenour.com. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Maurer, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatherley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Mr. Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Christine Nielsen, Tina Sharp, Tina Ahern, Jennifer Kinoski, David Bizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Landry, Josina, Sarah Durkis, Rhymes of Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Janet Selby, Janet Selby, Janet Selby, hi Janet, Claire Adams, Tom Franzak, Jeanette Benham, Gil Lassert, David Donahue, Blair Cyber, Dorona Vizov, Gio and Carl- Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesen, Ruth Ann Funderburg, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, the equally mysterious Tracy Z, Aviva Lael, Alicia Lemus, Rebecca Hughes, Val Lenneman, Rhymes with Cinnamon, Nick Harper, Martha Bergner, Susan Ahmad, Nolly Levine, the inscrutable Harry R., Susan Laverty, the Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Sharp, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Kelly Machia, D.N. Norton, Bonnie Lynch, Plant Happy Oregon, Sabina Kurtzels, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Cobble, Julian Rodkins, Breed O'Connell. Shannon Hirschman, Linda Ayat, Holm Hedegaard, Isa Tuzinwa, Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olakoski of Plant Powered for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Marani, Karen Joe Crabtree, Tanya Lewis, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Ann Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazleton, Valerie Peltier, Peter W. Evans, Colleen Harrison, Justin Divich, Joshua Summermeyer, Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, Lori Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Valerie Hummel, Emily Iaconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McAtee, Dan Bacorny, Stephen Lehman, Patty DiMartino, Mike and Donna Karts, Dean Bishop, Bill Brielf, Gunter Schmidt, Marjorie Lewis, Kelly Molden, Trisha Adams, Ian Kramer, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bayshore, Gunmarie Hagen, Tracy Gullich, Laura Heaton, Meg from Mama Says, Rochelle Kennedy, Diana Goldman, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, Holly Butler, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Parham Ganshik, Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt, Pamela Hayden, Emily Perryman, Olga Sidoraska, Allison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaught of Edible Musings, Aaron Hasty, Sean Owen, Sagar Nayak, Erica Piedra, Danielle Roberts, Michael Lushton, and Sarah Johnson for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for now. As always, be well, my friends.